On the latest episode of Real Health with me, Carl Henry, I'm delighted to be joined by cardiologist Dr. Paddy Barrett, chatting all things cardiovascular disease. The way I look at this is that the the two statistics that everyone should really be aware of is cardiovascular disease is the leading cause of death globally and in most developed nations, but it's also the most preventable. 90% of it can be prevented at an early stage if you just follow the right steps and formula. So I look at it as a, a scary opportunity. As ever available on all podcast platforms. On this week's Big Tech Show, you might not think it could happen to you, but our guest this week explains how a significant number of Irish people may be falling victim to romance frauds online. Victims can feel a misplaced sense of shame. People can blame themselves. They feel embarrassed. And so they don't want to tell family, friends. They don't want to report it to the police. In some cases, of course, the victims are already in relationships. They're married. They have an extra reason to keep that quiet. The Big Tech Show, available on all podcast platforms. Platforms. Today on the Indo Daily. Eurovision might look like it's all glitz and glamour, but the politics can be even more dramatic. Good evening, Europe. This is Ljubljana calling. Here on this paper are the final points which are going to decide tonight's winner. And now, ladies and gentlemen, final 12 points go to. The war in Ukraine has brought a distinctly political edge to this year's competition. However, it's not the first time that politics has spilled onto the Eurovision stage. Our 12 points go to Russia! La Russie, Not a popular result here in the house. I feel sorry, those girls are just 17 and it's not their fault. With Russia now expelled from the contest, we're going to look at some of the other controversies through the years, including how an Irish love song caused a Eurovision walkout. I'm Kevin Doyle, and today on the Indo Daily, I'm joined by Kirsty Blake Knox, features writer with the Irish Independent, and Eurovision fan Gareth Mulhall. Kirsty Blake Knox, before we get into some of the big controversies of Eurovision down through the years, just give me a really quick dummy's guide to this year's Eurovision. What's going on? What are the big talking points? Yeah, so this is the 66th Eurovision Song Contest. It's being held in Turin in Italy. And there's a huge uh, amount of conversation around it because of what's going on in Russia and Ukraine. Um, Russia aren't taking part in the contest. Ukraine are the front runners. So it's taken on a whole another dimension as opposed to just being kind of the fun, glitzy and and very camp um, song contest that it usually is. So Russia have effectively been trying thrown out because a lot of their neighbouring countries have objected to their presence there. Obviously, it's happened in the world of sport and elsewhere, but Eurovision has always claimed not to be political, Garrett Mulhall. But in your experience, that's not actually the case. Politics seeps through Eurovision down through the years, including in 2014 when you were in Copenhagen yourself. Yeah, back in 2014, the contest was held in Copenhagen and uh, it was at the time when Crimea was the centre of attention for most of the world and Russia was invading there and annexing it uh, from Ukraine. The atmosphere in the arena that night and all that week around the Russian entry was absolutely electric. From the point of view, it was two twin sisters, the Talmachevi sisters, who were only 17 at the time. And when they when they took to the stage in Copenhagen, the amount of booing that was done by the entire audience was unbelievable. <laughs> somewhat 20,000 people booing at two 17-year-old girls. And then during the voting sequence, every time they got points, they were again booed to the point where the presenters actually said, 
look, guys, this is a contest. We need to show a bit of respect and love for everybody. That still didn't stop the, the, the audience there from booing. It got so bad that the EBU then decided that from 2015 on, they would bring in, I suppose, noise cancelling uh, technology so that if there was booing again for any entry, that that would be cancelled out. And who are the EBU now? The EBU are the European Broadcasting Union. And basically, the Eurovision Song Contest isn't a competition of countries. It's a competition of broadcasters. So you all So we're all supporting RTE is what you're saying. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. We're all supporting RTE. Several other countries around Europe have two national broadcasters like Belgium. They've one for the Flemish and one for the Walloons. The same in Russia actually they had two national broadcasters. So in this case it is, yeah, the EBU is the governing body for that and as a broadcaster you sign up to, it's almost like a code of ethics that you say, you know we it's a family organised, a family show and we need to adhere to all the values of that. So I suppose that was why they've always tried to steer clear of getting political for anything. So the actions taken this year and again in 2014 was very strange for the EBU to do and and out of character. But Kirsty, Russia seems to cause a lot of controversy when it comes to Eurovision. Back in 2009, well, it wasn't Russia themselves, but it was Georgia who decided to create controversy about Russia. The Georgian entry that year, it was a kind of disco bop and uh, they had the lyrics, we don't want put in, which obviously you can kind of, yes, exactly, (laughs) see what they did there. So it was very highly suggestive. So kind of through song and lyric, they are sometimes loaded with political message or they're coming to embody some sort of political movement type of thing. Um, So... They were asked to amend their lyrics. Um, They refused and they actually withdrew from the contest in protest. Gareth, 2005, Lebanon had controversy about their entry. That year, they never made it to the stage in Kiev. It had always been a, a desire for Lebanon to actually enter the Eurovision Song Contest and they eventually got their act together in 2005. They had selected a song, and it was actually a really good song. It was by a woman called Elaine Lahoud, called Conte tu son fille. It was sung in French, and the EBU knew there was something up about this because in the, on their own national website, they, they had put up the running order of the contest. So it was like, you know, Ireland will perform one, Greece will perform two. And they suddenly noticed that there was a gap in the running order where there was no Israel. And they're going, why aren't you showing Israel being at it? Obviously, Lebanon and Israel were having conflicts at that moment in time. And Lebanon said, well, look, it's against law to per, to show anything on national television which has Israel in it. So they had to have conversations with the EBU. Um, at one stage, it was suggested that Lebanon would put up a picture of a potted plant while Israel performed. Um, obviously, the EBU said no the ult- to the that. The ultimate insult. <laughs> exactly. You so, are the equivalent of a potted plant. So therefore, Lebanon then, they said, at a protest at, at being forced to actually show anything Israeli on their national broadcaster, on their national TV station, they withdrew. And history does play a lot in this. There's a lot of moments, Kirsty, down through the years where we see artists trying to reflect what is going on in their own country, such as Portugal in the in the 70s. 
Yeah, so basically um, in 1974, there was actually a coded signal that was in the Eurovision Song Contest. Their entry that year and after the goodbye um, triggered uh, Portugal's Carnation Revolution. 200,000 people took to the streets, strewing red carnations and dancing with the troops. A blaring chorus of car horns clashed with the chant, a united people will never be defeated. It subsequently led to the transition to a democratic state. So you can see how loaded a lot of these performances have been and are. Italy, Garrett, in 1990, won with a song that they were trying to make a historical moment as well. Yeah. That year actually was filled with loads of entries talking about Europe and, and unity. And Italy won with a song called Insieme, what everybody sort of knows as Unite, Unite, Europe. Unite, Unite, Europe. They beat Ireland into second place. Liam Riley sang a song called Somewhere in Europe. And it was off, both of the songs and a lot of the other entries that year were coming off the back of the Berlin Wall falling down and the, the expansion of the EU or the, the, the European Union. And as a result, lots of songs came out about that. And Italy that year went and won the competition about the unity of Europe. And it sort of remains a classic to today before that. But it's just reflecting what was going on, I suppose, in the, the population and the zeitgeist of, of the people in Europe at the time. Italy won that year. Do these songs that are supposed to carry a wider meaning, do they do well traditionally? Or is, is cases like Italy a flash in the pan? <sighs> Eurovision songs have sort of gone through a big wave of being really, really popular and then dipping in popularity and coming back. I think the the 90s sort of saw it fall off the cliff in regards to record sales, but it's really sort of come back. So in Ireland we're winning. I know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But they really have sort of come back. And I think the reason why they've come back is that a lot of countries and a lot of broadcasters are involving record companies in selecting their song. And that's the big, big thing that, that you need to do. Look at who have been really successful in the contest of late. It has been Sweden and it has been Italy. Both of them have been in the top three so many times over the past decade. That's because all, you know, the best songwriters, the best producers, the best artists from their countries are getting involved. But they have the backing of all the big record labels in the country. And take a look at their charts, their weekly charts. So many national acts are in their top 40. Look at Ireland. And I was checking the charts this week. There's not one single Irish act in the top 40. And that just goes to show you it's all what has been replicated in the UK or in the American charts. And this is where the other countries are leaping ahead of Ireland because they're getting involved with the people who have the expertise and they're getting them on board to make the best song, the best live performance and the best singer. Yes. And we failed that, we have. It sometimes feels like there's like such a groundswell behind like Italy and Sweden before they even get to the contest. And it feels like they've like run 200 metres and we're at the starting line. Because like we haven't invested in the way that they obviously have seen this is what you need to do. So it always feels like we're not like they're just it's a way more sophisticated approach they have. Yeah. And also also their singers go through a rigorous trial to get to hold the, the trophy to say I'm representing my country. Like Italy uses the San Remo contest, which is actually 
older than the Eurovision Song Contest. It is a week long of a contest where I think it's something like 30 singers sing and each night they whittle them down, down, down till they get to the final 20. And then on the night they pick their winner who then goes to Eurovision. Sweden, on the other hand, has a show called Melody Festivalen. It consists of four uh, semi-finals and then a grand final. And that has 28 artists in it. But the big payoff for, for these countries is, is that all of those 28 artists, they will all end up having a huge hit in their own countries. And the shows then become huge ratings for the, the national broadcasters like RAI and SVT. And that sort of seems to be the link that RTE doesn't seem to have put the the, the link and the, the yeah. jigsaw pieces together. Now, this is a viable way to, to go about it. Kirsty, your dad, David Blake Knox, was very involved in Eurovision and with the selection process back in the 90s when we had the Linda Martins and the, mm. the Neve Cavanaghs, the, those big winners. Like, what has changed since then? Has Eurovision has clearly changed, and yeah. we're just not. Is it not that those songs were all very lovely songs and guitars and pianos yeah. and just simple songs, whereas now it's a stage performance? It's a completely different thing. Yeah, he got involved with Eurovision the first time he was working on the late late as a producer and Johnny Logan was going in and he said to Johnny if you win can I follow you around for the year make a documentary about you and Johnny said yeah and he won and it was a really difficult year of his life and then when he went in again he said can I now do a follow-up documentary <laughs> and then he got became head of entertainment and he started uh, overseeing the Eurovision obviously it's got bigger and when it gets bigger it gets more complicated I think that we kind of need to revolutionise how we're approaching it. As, as Gert said, like it's not a case of, oh, our songs were lovely and, and now it's, it's a whole different thing. It's, we just haven't updated with the contest. Our approach hasn't updated. The way sometimes Ireland talks about and Irish people talk about the 90s and our performance in the Eurovision kind of reminds me of when England go on about winning the World Cup in the 1960s. Like it's irrelevant in a way. Like it's great that it happened and it's really nice to look in, back on that and nostalgia. But like we need a more strategic approach. And there's also this like bizarre idea that a lot of Irish people have that oh, or you don't want to win it because it's going to cost so much. Partially probably influenced by Father Ted and my lovely horse episode. And it is such like rubbish, you, you know. You can like, say BS. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's such BS. Like it's like the the, uh, the hubris that Orti would just be able to like wake up on a Monday and say, "No, this year we'll win the Eurovision Song Contest," and just like like that, it would be done. It's it's kind of outrageous, isn't it? It completely like, is, and and the whole thing about not being able to afford it anymore, how the Euro, Eurovision Song Contest is funded is dramatically different today than what it would have been in the 90s when we were hosting it four times. There are sponsors on board now, big name sponsors like TikTok, uh, Moroccan Oil. They're all involved in it now. So that's not that's not really, a, a, you know, an option. It, it'll tighten your resources, but it's not going to bankrupt you in the slightest way. But it's totally how we look and view and more importantly, how you engage your public in order to selecting your song. Sweden are miles ahead of us here. You can text in your vote. You can email in your vote. Then they have an app. And the app, you, you do like press hearts on the app and how many times you like the song while it's playing. And they break down the demographic to 
under 10s, 10 to 15s, 15 to 20s. And they call out the results for all of those age categories. And it's just allowing people to sort of, they're trying to in, engage with the younger you know, population who is going to sustain the, the interest in the competition going mm. forward. And then, you know, these kids are sort of saying, oh, the song I liked. Oh, now it's on the radio. Oh, and now I can download it, you know. And there, it's that whole way of, you know, getting you invested in the contest. Yes. Kirsty, what about we're, we're talking about the politics of Eurovision here. You can't deny that after the jury votes were, were given over to the public or the, the public were voted, text voting was brought into it. There was, Ireland just never does well in that. Are we bad at the politics of Eurovision? Whatever about the, the songs? No, like, and this is a thing we agree on. Like, it's really petty when people say, oh, it's political. Like, that's why we didn't get the points. It, Eurovision is definitely political, but it's political in the big scheme of things. Like, we're talking about, like, Russia and Ukraine today. Like, that's like a big political issue statement. and statement. Saying it must be politics because we didn't get, like, 10 points from them. It like it seems so churlish in a way, like you know, like this is what this is the only reason. Like we're fantastic. It's, it's a good excuse. It must yeah. be someone else's <laughs> issue. It's them. It's not us. We don't know? have any neighbors except but the UK. No, like it's like, and I think you that, can't deny people vote for their neighbors. Well, no, like I think that's not true. Like you know, like, well, like there's like like there is some, sometimes we do vote for our neighbors, but I think this idea that it's inherently like I, I just think that's a flawed logic, and I think it's like again, it's like absolving yourself of responsibility in when it comes to your selection process as as a as a broadcaster it's kind of saying it's not us it's them and it's, that's it's not me it's you a yeah. classic a classic it breakup that, line you know? but I mean if you look at it Australia has bugger all neighbours yeah. you know and they have been they've come second they've been in the top 10 three times they they're also not in Europe but we won't get into that one yeah. at the minute because <laughs> uh, I do want to ask you Gart, we, we have tried to be political in the past with our Irish entry at, le at least once. Mm. Yeah, and, and remarkably so once. Um, wind back to 1972 and it was like the height of the Troubles were really kicking off in Ireland and the National Song Contest was taking place. Ten songs were in that national final. Always, RT would always make it an issue to have at least one Irish language song in the final every year back then. That year, over 50% of the songs were Irish because they wanted to send a very strong message that we are Irish and we want to send a song written in Irish. So Sandy Jones won that year with Ciolan uh, Gras, the sort of the, the love, the, the music of love. Beautiful song. She went off to Edinburgh to, to perform it because the contest had been held in the United Kingdom. When she took to the stage, several people in the, in the auditorium left because they just thought it was an insult that Ireland was sending a song performed in Irish to the UK while all of this was going on. So you, you, you sort of go, well, was it just pure fluke that, you know, that song won that year, you know, and represented Ireland? Or was it a concerted effort to sort of go, we know what we're doing here and we're poking and prodding the bear, you know, to get a reaction? And it got a reaction. And Kirsty, from what you know of the selection process, like, do they try to be edgy? We sent Dustin, of course, which oh, was a, oh, a statement. That was of, just, that was the worst I, thing we did. It's so insulting. I'm not going to give you PST, okay. PTSD by discussing <laughs> yes. it in any detail. But I suppose my question is, is more... What do we look for? Like, do, do people sit down in RT and go, right, this year we're going to send a pop song. This year we're going to send a man with a guitar who kind of sounds like Ed Sheeran. What, like, how do they pick 
the song. I, I honestly, part of me thinks that the way RT approach it is that it's a problem to be solved rather than an opportunity to be embraced. I know that sounds really cheesy, but I actually <laughs> do think there's yeah. truth in that. Like, I feel like, like, I, like I'm kind of like, is there a 10-year strategy to this? Are people kind of saying, okay, what we need to work on is this? Or is it just at the after each Eurovision there's two months where they don't think about it and then they kind of think oh god we've got to get back on top of that like it doesn't seem like when we see like I said how sophisticated Sweden and Italy are there doesn't seem to be that in our than the way we're selecting this and the way we're approaching it and I think you really need people involved in that process who are who understand Eurovision and who are also incredibly passionate about it and sometimes you kind of wonder oh like and, and obviously when everyone's performing they're like it's a great performance we're passionate but is are people really passionate about all of your vision encompass what it could encompass well, I, I would nominate you guys but uh, <laughs> you already have jobs but just to wrap up Garrett I'll put you on the spot how many times have you been to Eurovision? Well, it all depends what ones you oh. actually count. Okay, when I was, when I was, I'm so old, I, when I was I, sitting... I was just my, looking for a number, but go <laughs> on. <laughs> when I was sitting my finals in college, I actually had tickets to all of the dress rehearsals because it was 1995 and it was in the Point Depot. So when I should have been studying my politics and economics, you know, I probably would have got a better score if I hadn't have been down in the Point looking at Greece performing and the United Kingdom rehearsing. Well, I've been to the Eurovision, oh gosh, over 12 times, I'd say. So you're an expert is basically what I was yeah, trying to get I'm to. So yeah. how are Ireland going to do and who is going to win? I think Ireland has a really good chance of qualifying. She has a great, just pure bubblegum pop song. She's not wanting to make any big political Bro- statement. Brooke Shields, we should Brooke, say. What's the name Brooke of the song? Scullion. Um, Brooke Shields is somebody Brooke completely Shields. different altogether. But, uh, we know where your mind is, Kevin. No. Brooke Scullion from Derry, like Dana, came to note because she was on the UK Voice, where she did very well. Her song is called That's Rich. And it's just, it's an unapologetic pop song. And, and she's performing it with gusto. The reaction from the, the media over there has been really strong and positive for it. So I'm really hoping that it will get through. And I think if it gets through, judging on some of the other songs that have qualified for the final, it stands out as being mm. a pure feel-good song. Somewhat along the lines of, and this is not an insult to her, but like how when Jedward was with Lipstick, that was pure bubblegum pop. And that was we a great threw, song. It's a brilliant song. And we went 110% in and it did the business for us. So I have a good, I have a really good hope for, for Brooke for Who's going to win? Is it Ukraine, Home and Host? No, it's Ukraine, I think it was going to win the public vote. But then it's all about what the jury vote goes for. And traditionally, Juries don't like the politics. The, well, they don't like rap. <laughs> is what I was going to say. Yeah. And the, the and the Ukrainian song is part rap, part part music. <laughs> the only thing I'd say is is that when Eurovision finishes an hour later, they publish all the jury votes, and it tells you the names of all the jury members in Ireland and Sweden, wherever, mm-hmm. and it tells you where they rated, ranked the songs. I really don't, wouldn't want to be a jury yes. member who's not going to give a good score to Ukraine yeah. and have the public seeing it. Bar saying that, it's a cracking belter of a song from Ukraine. 
The Italian entry is pretty good, but they're doing everything they can to make sure they don't win because they're messing it up for them because I've seen the rehearsals for it. And the UK are coming up as a surprise. They're second in the bookies odds. That's probably just the UK voting for themselves <laughs> where they can once. <laughs> Kirsty, call it. I don't know. I want, I want Ukraine. I think it's such a good story and like there's the, the, they've spoken about how much it would mean to them and not only just the band but also people here who are from Ukraine have fled Ukraine so I just I want I want to see that happen Okay we'll hold you to those ones guys my thanks to Kirsty Blake Knox and Garrett Mulhall I'm Kevin Doyle and today's Indo Daily episode was produced by Mary Carroll researched by Garrett Mulhall recorded by Gavin Hennessy with sound design by Dara Kelly archive clips were from the BBC RTE and the Eurovision Song Contest if you enjoyed the Indo Daily don't forget to like follow and leave us a review 